Hello, 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 and good morning, everybody. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, good morning, good morning. I hope you guys are doing good. Uh, it's good to be here again. Most uh, now activate July edition. You know, um, this happens every month when we started back in May, um, actually April. We didn't think at the time that we we're going to make it a monthly thing, but then this has been wonderful. This has been awesome. It's been a wonderful time having to engage with guys who are doing awesome stuff in the tech industry, in the entrepreneurship space, and, you know, listening to them, learning uh, from them, hearing from them about their challenges, about their problems, about their successes, about their failure stories. It's been wonderful. It's been wonderful. It's been wonderful. Good morning, everybody. Uh, it's good to have you guys back here today. Today is going to be an interesting edition. Believe me, I have two guys who are awesome folks um, here. One of them I've known for about, uh, I think, 11 years now. And the other person I recently just met, but he's also doing great stuff, um, you know, in his space. And um, uh, let's do well to remind us of our friends that are supposed to be here, those of our community members are supposed to be here. Do well to send them a reminder. They already have the link. Let them just click it and join. And then we're going straight and straight into it. We don't like to waste time. So thank you guys for coming. Thank you guys for joining. Um, a little bit of housekeeping. As usual, we would have opportunities to listen to um, Richard and um, Tunji, that's TJ, right? And um, we'll listen to them talk. And we would also get an opportunity to um, have a panel session with them. So. If you're listening to their keynotes and you have questions for them, kindly do well to put those questions down immediately in the questions feed. There's a question feed here on Zoom platform. Do well to put your questions down immediately so that we can ask those questions during the panel session. And um, you know, if you have questions for them during the panel session as well, you can do the same. If you have comments and you know some other kind of um, things you'd like to say, use the chat feed for that. But if it's questions, kindly do that in the questions feed so that we can sort and then quickly attend to those questions when the time comes, right? And then again, um, as opposed to previous editions where we basically would just send a poll to get feedbacks, this particular session, we're going to give opportunity to two people during the feedback section, two people to you know give their feedback as to um, what they've learned today, what they've been able to gain from you know the individual speakers who has shared insights with us and all of that. Um, we know that we are very, very particular about being practical with the um, things that we, with the way we engage the speakers, right? It's okay to ask questions that are pertaining to your business directly, especially if you're having issues, you're having problems. I mean, it's okay to ask those questions directly so the speakers can also, you know, be more personal in their responses to you, right? So please let's make sure, let's do well to keep those things in mind. We're going to listen to two different speakers. There'll be a first keynote and then a second keynote, then the panel session like we always do. Then there'll be opportunity for two people to, that's two people um, as part of the participants to come and um, you know give feedbacks uh, on live. So we're going to bump you up to panelists and then uh, you can jump in and give your feedbacks there. So today, as we all know, we're discussing a topic that I really find very, very dear to me. Uh, the reason I find it dear to me is because um, 
sincerely, I, I would like to you guys, Nigeria has been really tough to do business. And um, any entrepreneur who is trying to make it in this country, who is serious with their business, knows that. And um, I won't exactly say that I'm, I'm advocating for an exit plan for every business, but I'm saying that um, every business should have the opportunity to scale and not be held down by policies and politics, really. So uh, the, only the only way you can have that headway is if you don't only do business in Nigeria. If your business is only focused in Nigeria and that's the only place you do business, it's very possible that something is going to happen and then before you know it, I mean, there's nothing you can do anymore because business is gone. The folks who uh, used to ride bikes, you know, they, they met with their foe when Lagos decided to ban bikes on the highway. Um, the Uber guys almost caught up with it, but I mean, there was a fight back there and then thank God that was reversed. FinTech is currently seeing it. Um, the hell of a, uh, policies are, are, are reeling in almost every month and it's becoming hard to do business in that space. I mean, take for instance, the likes of um, Chaka, the likes of um, Patricia and all those guys. I mean, it's getting hard to do business. I recently heard that Patricia now opens their headquarters in Cyprus. They've left Nigeria. Um, you know, things like this are happening and it's all because of the kind of policies that have been uh, meted out almost all the time. And it's getting harder to do business in Nigeria, right? So the, you, you would want to do well to give your business the opportunity to be able to continue to operate, even if Nigeria decides to be Nigeria. You get that. And that's why we're discussing building global solutions to local problems here today. The only way to do that is to make sure that from the get-go, you're thinking about you know, a globalization strategy. You're thinking about how to operate in more than one country. You're thinking about how to be able to deliver and provide these solutions that you're creating as a startup, as, you know, a new business, how to do that to other people out of the country. How do you scale into all of these countries and all of that? Um, and that's why we're having um, Richards, Richard Dehoa Usagi and um, TJ with us today. So very quick one, uh, just to let you guys know a bit about Richards and and TJ. Richard is a well-rounded product manager, quite all right, and he's been building digital products in the fintech space for about six years now. Um, he's a certified product, uh, project manager. He's a business analyst with a degree in computer science from Uniben, and he also mentors startups at, um, you know, DFS, amongst others, right? He's very passionate about getting the simplest version of a product into the hands of the user, which is what we call the MVP, which is really what you need to start a business, right? Uh, and he makes sure he doesn't compromise his experience, at, at, you know, while doing that. His experience cuts across different product roles. He's, he's worked at eTransact, Carbon, Ajokad, and most recently, where he's product manager today, um, Branch, that's Branch International. So uh, Richard is here, everybody. Can we give it up for Richard? I'd like us to, you know, give a warm welcome, a very warm welcome to Richard. Can we? Can I see some digital, um, you know, welcome for Richard? I know we're not physical here. So can we, can we, can I see some claps? Can I see some welcome, Richard? Welcome, Richard. Welcome, Richard. Can I see some digital welcome? Let's be warm. Let's welcome Richard. Yeah, exactly. Uh, let's, let's have some you know, digital welcome. Richard, you're welcome. You're welcome. You're welcome. You're welcome. It's so wonderful to have you. Hello, Richard. Hi. Hi, Emmanuel. Thank you for having me. Thank you, everyone. Thank you so much for being here. So, so, so great to have you. Uh, so great to have you. I'm sure that the participants at some point would, be, would love to see you. If you can, please do well to turn on your video um, for the course of this, um, of this session, and then, you know, we'll get right to it. And then also, there's TJ. Awesome. So, 
CJ, CJ is an interesting character, really. Um, as I said earlier, I've known CJ for about 11 years. Uh, we met in 2010. We, were, we actually went to school together, started from pre-degree. And when I met CJ back then, it was really weird. Weird because um, tech wasn't everywhere at the time, but TJ was already into tech. He was already building softwares. He was already coding. He was already doing all those. Now, you know how guys who code are always very, you know, secluded in, in, in one space. So TJ was that quiet guy in one corner of the room. Even His room was even the last room in the, in the hostel at the time, I remember. So he was always in his room, always on his laptop. Everybody's always wondering, what the hell is this guy doing? You know, this was back when Symbian phones and Java phones were raining. And then we used to jailbreak Symbian phones with MTN codes. So you punch in all those, um, what's it called now? All those IP addresses. TJ, remember these things, right? All those IP addresses that would make us to get free internet and all those things. TJ was- Browsing cheats. You say what? I said browsing cheats. I'm telling you, TJ was the originator of those browsing cheats back then. And everybody would just go to him, get some code before you know we're browsing for free, you know, and all those things. So TJ has been in tech for, for over 10 years, right? Um, he's worked in different capacities. Even though he was in school to study law, we always told him that this law that he's doing, apparently, we feel like he's wasting his time. TJ apparently graduated, I think, with the first class in law, still is doing nothing with law. The guy is very interesting. Quite all right. Um, he, he's worked for different um, tech companies. He's also built his own tech companies. Uh, I think started with Postcabal uh, some six years ago, I think, or five years ago, right? Um, then from Postcabal, he started building Salescabal. Salescabal has metamorphosized into Bumper, where he's co-founder and, um, uh, you know, CTO right now. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome TJ to this webinar. Can, can, can I see some digital... Welcome, some digital welcome, some digital welcome for TJ. Thank you, thank you so much for being here, TJ. Thank you, thank you very, very much. I'm particularly looking forward to listening to you because I know that the, the participants are in for a wonderful time, in for a wonderful time um, here today. So without further ado, we'd like to waste no time. We'd like to go straight into it, right? Let's go straight to uh, the first keynote for today. We'll have one hour, 30 minutes all together to spend. So the first keynote for today, for 20 minutes, we'll be listening to Richard Yoha Osage, now product manager at Branch International. Everybody, please say welcome to Richard. Richard, you've got the floor. All right. Good morning, everyone. And thank you for having me. Let me confirm. Can we all hear me? I can. All right. All right, great, great, great. Isaac, can you hear Richard? Right, okay, good. Um, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm very, very honored actually that Emmanuel thought that I could, I could actually do this. So yes, thank you so much. Um, I'm, I'm just going to jump right into it. Um, I, I just have a couple of points or a couple of like, like just little nuggets I would like to give in um, with regards building solutions, um, especially having that global mindset. Um, when you're in the tech space, right? When you want to build a, a digital product or a tech product or a tech solution. I think the very first thing jumping right into it is, I don't think anyone ever says, I want to build a global tech solution and now I'm going to start it. No, what, I've always, what I'm always very keen on in trying to solve a problem is understanding and establishing what the problem is. So I would say before you think global, think what is the problem exactly? You need to establish what the problem is and what you're trying to solve for. 
it's in the journey of understanding what that problem is and having alternative solutions to that problem that you can now begin to think global. It's a waste of manpower and energy and resources to think global first, when at the end of the day, the problem that you think, or what you think is a problem isn't actually a problem. So you just waste energy and resources and your thinking scale, but you're not solving any problem, right? So I think that's the first thing that you need to define or establish what the problem you're solving is. And one of the ways to do that is by being curious and by asking a lot of questions. So you have a light bulb moment. I want to put a solution that, let me just think of something random, that allows people who have topped up, mistakenly bought airtime like more than what they wanted. They want to be able to get the funds back. I mean, that's something that happened. I'm just thinking as a random example. So you wanted to buy 500 naira airtime, you bought 5,000. Now you want some sort of, you want to build the solution. Because this has happened to you personally, you feel like you need to build a solution that is going to solve this and allow people to get their cash back. And, you, and, and, and for you, you think that this is a huge, this is a huge deal. The question is, you need to, for me, is, is it a problem really worth solving? And some of the things that helps you to get to that point where you say, okay, I'm going to spend time and energy to do it is to ask questions. So in this rough example I'm giving, how many people does this happen to in a month per telco? These are the questions you need to start asking. So if MTN users, how many, how many, what's the volume and what's the count of these? Like how many does it happen every to, to, to MTN users every month, for instance? And um, is this something that's going to work my time? How would I go about so what are the alternative solutions to solve it? In asking those questions, I think it becomes clear the best approach to go about. And at some point, you may just find that this may not be anything worth solving. It may just be that you the, the, the manual process today of handling things is good enough for it. And at the end of the day, if you're going to propose a solution to it, you're not going to make any revenue off it. Right? Entrepreneurs here are tech-minded, want to make money. When you look at how those models work, you may not necessarily think that this is something that is worth your time. You may, you may choose to look to, into another problem space. So one of the things I would say, that was just a very rough example, is you need to identify what the problem is. And the best way to do it is do some research. So you, you, you have an idea, go online and search and, and talk to people who are in that particular space, whether it's FinTech, whether it's EdTech, whatever, and try and find out if what you think is a problem is really a problem, just even hypothetically, just to be sure. And what you may find is, you may find that there are already some solutions out there that solve this problem. And then you will just find that whatever it is that you, you, you thought was a problem, was not even so much of a problem. You may also find that some people have solved the problem, but most likely not in the way you are thinking it through. That now becomes an opportunity for you to hop on, right? But if you did not know this, you'd probably just go and be thinking about it in one way. But you go online, you do research, and that's why the internet is just powerful. And you see solutions that are out there, both locally and internationally, and see how this problem that you're thinking about has been solved. And then I think that sort of even gives a direction as to, do I dump this or do I seek to improve on how the solution um, or how this problem can further be or can be best solved? So that's, that's what I would say. Um, I, I think another thing that would be, that would be that would always very helpful is research into the demography of your solution, your solution, your, your problem, your, 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 your demography of who is going to be using this problem, using the solution that you are proposing. So, and that's something you always need to put in, in mind when you're building a product. 
um, who's going to use it? Typically, you would say, you know, depending on what it is, for instance, millennials aged 18 to 35, for instance, this is my demography. So create some questionnaires. You have a, a, an idea of how this is going to solve a problem. Create some questionnaires, or it could be questionnaires, it could be any way that you feel that you can communicate to your demography and let them give you feedback as to how you, the alternatives, your solution to the problem. And I would say, don't only have one solution. Sometimes it helps to have several solutions. There are different approaches to solve a problem. And it could be one of those that would be the hits. Um, and it will be to find out which and understand why people think that this solution actually solves the problem. I think it will be very helpful in helping you to be sure that you're actually solving a problem or that whatever it is you're building is actually going to be useful. Um, another thing I, I would like to, I want to point out is be sure that your research, whether you did questionnaires, whether you called people, show that the solution is viable. And one of the things you need to have in mind is you need to say, for this product or this solution that I'm building to be successful, you need to define what the metric is, even if it's just one. Um, it is successful if 1,000 people are transacting with it, for instance. So that is like your North Star metric that you're working towards. And if you see from your, from, your, from your research that even hypothetically, people are not going to use this thing, and that's already a sign telling you that maybe you need to explore an alternative solution, or maybe there isn't really a problem here. Maybe you need to look in another space. So get a metric that you want to work toward that defines what success is. The truth is that this metric can always change. But I think it sort of helps you to start off. That gives you that baseline to begin with. And then you can build. Um, and one thing I want to mention here is be very, very okay with starting manually, especially for entrepreneurs. You know, I've, I've talked with a lot of people. They have a light bulb moment. The next thing is they want to build an app. And I always said, like, hold on, hold on. Don't rush to build an app. An app is a channel or a medium to deliver a solution to a customer or to your, to your solution set or to your, to your, to your demographic, right? And an app is not the solution because the truth is there are manual solutions that work today. And to be honest, sometimes all those manual solutions can just be left as they are or semi-manual. Not everything should be. I know that we're in the tech age, so everything you want to quickly automate things. But sometimes it's more simpler to leave things the way they are. I've, I've seen that so many times. Don't rush into building a digital solution first. I think it's always, because that takes a lot of resources. You need resources, front end, back end, you need designers, all of that. But before you get to that point, start, start raw, let me put it that way. So you want to build a solution and you, you are using Excel sheets to pretty much run it. That is not bad. I mean, it may be very manual, but it's a good place to start because it is those processes that are manual that you eventually automate. But if you just go into automation, you may find that you're going to miss a lot of things and then you just keep on working and working and you just have projects that never really end. So don't be afraid as an entrepreneur to actually start, start you know, like hands-on, manual, depending on what, whatever it is that you're trying to build, not in the long run, but in the short term. So that first of all, you get to define and streamline what processes are. You get to understand failure points. You get to understand you know, the best approach to do things. And then when you have run that for a while, then you can now begin to think, okay, now it's time to automate because we need to scale. And that, those are some things that you always need to keep in your mind when you're building 
uh, a, a, a solution. I'm just talking about solving a local problem. I'm not even thinking about global yet because I always think if you can establish that problem, if you can solve that problem locally, then it sort of becomes easy to scale. And I would say for every, every entrepreneur and everyone on this call, you should always have it as Emmanuel mentioned in your head that this problem I'm solving should be able to go global somehow. So even when you're trying to establish what the problem is, don't necessarily think that this problem is only for Nigeria or this problem I'm trying to solve is just to solve for Nigeria alone. I believe that there are some things that can, some solutions that can be extended to other markets. And um, you look at um, Paystack and Flutterwave today, they didn't start out, I mean, in Ghana or South Africa, Flutterwave has done out. They started out in Nigeria first and it was rough. It was not easy for them. They had to deal with regulations. They had to deal with a lot of things, but it took time. They refined their edges. They, they smoothing things out. And then now raise a lot of money. They can now expand. I know that for Inshallah and Ezra's mind, expanding had always been in their mind, but they were not going to start out from day one to expand. It's not that we need to build out the, your process, build up your operations, and then gradually begin to scale where you know you have a quality product because it's horrible if you begin to scale out a product that has a lot of loopholes and a lot of problems then you just make your problems like you just now nah, in the text you just put a lot of things you put global things like you just cause bigger problems that it becomes more difficult to solve it will be much harder to solve a fraud especially or a fraud a fraud loophole in a fintech product when it's global as opposed to when it's local you know, because then you're going to be dealing with regulatory policies that are even beyond your, your local initial local space. It becomes a mess. So take time. And that's why one of the things I like is I'll, even, even where I used to work, V1. What is the simplest, most easiest version of this product that we can have? Whether it's manual, whether it's semi-manual, semi let's not, I'm always never in a hurry to go to, you know, go to build something out first. I mean, digitally. Um, of course, there are, some, there, are some, there are some cases where, for instance, when I worked at Carbon, we were trying to test out something. This would be a very good example. We were giving digital loans and we felt, oh, I made an assumption that people are not taking as much loans as we want. Less, um, maybe they need overdrafts. And one of the things, overdraft, you know, that's something that's very common in the SME parlance. You know, you just go, you have a credit line open to you up to a certain limit. You can withdraw and you pay back, you know, with little interest and all of that. Your interest accrues daily, that sort of thing. And we felt, oh, let's do this. And thankfully, before we went on to start deploying it into the app and specking out how it was going to work, one of the things that we sat back to do at the time was, okay, let's do a pilot, a V1 of what overdrafts will look like. Now, this overdraft, I handle this personally, so I'm telling you from experience that it was manual. So we had a web channel where people could access carbon. I said, okay, it's much easier to test something on the web than going to deploy it to the Play Store or Apple Store, and it takes hours of approval. At the end of the day, we may have done that, and then overdraft is not what people need. So we use the web. On the web, it's very easy. Have your back end done, deploy your front end, you refresh, everything shows. Simple. We, I went to the process of selecting some users who were going to use it, had you know, a very simple landing page. People who are eligible will see, provide information, they have overdrafts, will credit their wallets. And we had a sheet where we were tracking, we were calculating the interest that was accruing every day. We put the formulas in. This was manual, very manual, off the system. And this is what we did for about two months, right? Just to see, we gave a cap of 100K, 100K overdraft. And let's see how everybody goes. And what we saw was that the people, our demography did not understand overdraft. They are retail. So what they would do is that they thought it was a loan. They would just take the whole 100K. 
you know, like you give a loan. And that was not the experience. That's not what we're expecting. We're expecting people to take like a 20,000 repay, take a 30,000 repay. But over 90% of the customers that we chose just went out to the 100K. In fact, some of them never even paid back. Some of them were gracious enough to pay back. But it was money that we're willing to lose because we're testing it out. Now, imagine that we had gone to build this into a full-scale product. I would have wasted my time to spec. I would have worked with a designer to create, you know, a screens and we'll put it in the app. And at the end of the day, it's even costing, making us to lose a lot of money. And it's not something that people, people don't understand. People don't think, they are still thinking loans. Now, what we eventually did with that, we, we acknowledged that in my report, I said, this thing is not working for our retail customers. However, it will be good for our SME customers, our business customers. Now, we now have something called Carbon SME, and that works today. You give overdraft to businesses. Now, those people already take overdraft from banks. They already understand how those things work. So those that was the right market, not the retail customers who just want to download the app and get the loan. Now, if we did not do this, we would have wasted manpower, energy, all of that, just trying to get it into the app. That's why I would always say, it's never app. Your solution is not an app. The app is the medium to get it to the customer. Think, what is the operation? What is the value I am going to deliver through this channel? How would this work? And then you launch first, and then you watch and you observe, and then you begin to iterate. And when you have a V1, you say, okay, V1 is going to do this. You can have so many ideas, but the basic functionality that you think will get the most value across, you put it in V1. And then it's been rough and manual. That's fine. You have to be okay with that. You run through it. You learn from it. Sometimes at the end of V1, you see that this is no go. This is not working. Let me look in this problem space and see if there's some other, some other solution I can propose to something else. And that's fine. Or you say there's something I want to improve on. So that, that's, that's the mentality I think that helps too that we need to have. And then you have a V1, you have a V2, and then things become successful, you're adding the feature sets. Then I think that's the point where you begin to think global at some point. So if, if for instance, what you, what you wanted to solve is maybe you wanted people to be able to, let me see, just use a funds transfer that already exists today. So you're able to send money from A to B. Now you've, you've achieved that. Yeah, we've added other features, maybe allowing people to save beneficiaries, allowing people to send maybe to people in, in a, maybe to MMOs, people that have digital mobile wallet and all that, yeah, just expanding. Now you want to now go global, I think, and this is where I think it helps. I'm coming, maybe because I'm a bit of a techie, I'm coming from the tech side first. Now, when you want to think scale, after you have established what the problem is, you know that this is viable. You have talked to customers, you have uh, you have talked to mentors in the space, you have failed, you have learned, you have relearned, and you see that there is a need. So you have learned V1 and you're getting people on hits, you're getting hit, you're getting people, a lot of interest is being shown. And you're like, okay, if, I, if, if this interest continues, I do a rough projection, this is how much revenue I can have. Um, I've also assumed that you have made your revenue model in there. There's different pricing structures you can have because unless you want to do a non-profit, you're thinking of money. So whether you want it to be subscription-based, whether you want it to be per transaction, however that is, you, you, you model that into your V1 or maybe even V2. And just see, have an idea of how this works. That will help you to make projections to say, okay, if we run this business the way it has worked for six months, one year, this is how much potentially we can get. Then you now begin to think scale. Um, one of the things that will help coming from the tech side, I mean, this is, I, I've done this when I was at Carbon and 
you know, currently at branches, some things that I've learned that you need to take note of when you want to build a global solution. You have the local problem sets solved. Now you want to expand to other countries, to other markets, right? So that you have that global reach, so that in case they want to shut down Nigeria tomorrow in terms of something, maybe it's a CBM policy just comes, no more third party funds transfers, your business wouldn't die, right? Because you're in Ghana, you're in South Africa, you're in Kenya, you're in India, you've expanded, still solving the same problem. And I think one of the things that I'm going to be very practical here on the tech side, you need to look at is, and I must say this, not all entrepreneurs are tech savvy and they don't have to. I think what I found and what you see in the tech space is that most of these entrepreneurs would always have a tech, a tech guy who is like a CTO, you know, who would help. And that's also very important. Even if you are, you are tech savvy yourself, you, you would need to focus on the business, the core business itself. And you may need some help with that. I mean, it doesn't always have to be that way. But, you know, if you look at most fintechs, they look at the pay stuff, there's Shola, there's Ezra. My former company where I worked at Jokad, the co-founder was driving the business. There was a CTO was handling the tech side completely because that is a lot of work in itself. But I guess, you know, it's just as a startup, one person could handle all of that. But on the tech end, when you begin to scale, things you need to consider will be your solutions architecture. Um, engineers or people who write code in the house or who understand what I'm saying. Um, there's a way you can write code and build it there that is so, is so hard-coded. It's so hard-coded to... It must be this particular way. So when you want to scale, it becomes problematic. And what you will find is on the business side, let's scale. It's not just to create a new page and put Africa, put um, South Africa, put this one, just do it. But the truth is not like that. There's a lot of tech work that we need to go on the background to enable you to scale. Especially when you're going to the point where you know that this is worth effort. This is what your energy is, what your time is, what spending money or resources to do. Because it, it will cost a lot. There is no how giving you a rough estimate. If you want to build a, a global product, right? You're going to need, and you've established that this, you're going to need a front-end engineer or front-end engineers, you're going to need back-end engineers. You're going to need product designers. You're going to need a whole lot. You're going to need some marketing, you're going to have a marketing team, probably even digital marketing. You're going to need to have a customer success team of sorts, especially as you begin to scale. All of these costs have a lot of heavy costs, right? And you need to be sure that it is worth going to an investor to say, give me money because I know that this is worth it. You know, even if you have all the money, you have to be sure that this is going to be worth all the money you're going to spend. And you have done the math and you're seeing with this V1, V2, I've seen that prospects, this thing is going to work. So now I'm going to invest my resources. On the tech side, things we need to consider will be, you know, having things like KYC, global KYC, for instance. Now at Branch, just giving you an example, Branch has uh, markets in Nigeria, India, Kenya, Tanzania. Um, and one of the things that we have done is, this is just giving you, an, and this is how most, most companies operate when, you, when you're doing global is, you have a global KYC structure. Now, KYC differs per market. So in Nigeria, let me give an example. In Nigeria, when you think of KYC, you think of a, a government ID, driver's license name. You think of BVN, very important. Um, in Kenya, stuff like that. Kenya, they have a national ID. Now that's that's a different flow entirely. In India, they have something they call Ad Ada. That's like also like a national ID. Now it's still the same app, still the same app. But now what happens when it comes to the app is depending on your location, your when you, when you download the app, it's on the store. It's available to everybody around the world. You select your country. 
So if you select India, there's a version for you to say, do you want to, do you want to change the language to Hindi? Because that's what they will understand. And then they can select it, and then the entire app configuration has changed. You're not seeing English again, you're seeing Hindi. And that helps that market set. For Nigeria, it's just English. For Kenya and Tanzania, um, it's just it's just English, right? Like all of that, that's that's a tech, that's some tech work has happened in the background to enable that one app, still the same app. The UI remains exactly the same, the experience is exactly the same, but there's a language configuration and a country configuration that has been set up in that app. That's thinking global. When they started building it, from what you understand, these are things that they had in mind. So tomorrow, if they expand to Mexico, it's just going to a file somewhere. Engineers in the world understand what I'm saying. Put a config file and add a new country and put this is the currency of the country. If there are specific languages, you put that there. It becomes easy. You're not writing excess code to achieve that. So you can easily expand like this. You know, configurations are set up. So those are things you need to look at. Currency configurations, time zone configurations, very important because you, you want to have a global view of what's going on. You need to know the exact time a particular action or transaction may have happened. And you're looking at it from Nigeria, but you need to be able to consider that this transaction happened this time, you know, and PSDT or, you know, the different time zones. You have to be able to, all of those things are things that you need to consider when you're building. So, even I believe engineers are very key to this playing this role as much as the business, you know, the entrepreneurs themselves are. Because if the engineer or your your your, your software engineers are not thinking global, it can become a very big problem because things will be hard coded. Imagine that you had coded something, and everything is Nigerian, naira, naira, naira. Now you want to expand to Ghana, and then you need to write the entire app again because you need to include cities. It becomes a drag. An expansion and that global solution becomes a problem. So things like you know global KYC systems, your types of considerations, your remote configurations. You may say, I want India's interest rates for loans, for instance, to be between this and this. Only affects India. Kenya should be this. You shouldn't have to make a new app update to be able to do that remotely. You can always have an admin that can set that, and it takes effect immediately. That's thinking global. I begin to think about that as you scale. First of all, and I must emphasize on this, you need to be sure that you have solved or your solution actually solves a problem. And it is worth all of that first before you go into this, this point where you're now thinking in your solution set. This is how it's going to work. One app experience, I'm all about the experience. The experience has to be seamless. It has to be seamless. It has to be. You know, and all of that. You know, and that's just an example with on, on the tech side. You know, if you're doing things in ed tech, for instance, you need to think about certificate standard, grading standards, um, 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 different, you know, different, you know, there are different examinations in different countries. You know, how are the grading standards like? How will teachers upload results? You know, what what is the language configurations here? You know, these are things that you need to consider as you're thinking global. You know, what is the education educational you know system like? Is it Montessori? Is it British? Is it American? You know, all of those things, right? I think that you need to factor in how do they learn in this particular in this market that you have, you have gone into. You need to figure, like factor that into your into your solutions architecture so that scale is much easier. I think one of the things on the business and operations side as I wrap up is that you know you need to think of markets, right? So India, for instance, or Kenya or South Africa, you want to expand. If you want to expand to the US, what are the regulations that affect your business model there? That's something you need to think about when you want to expand. 
Do you have the are there licenses you need to acquire? How much would they cost? How do you go about getting an entrepreneur has a lot of work to do when you're thinking about expanding? Um, what kind of things am I going to need? What's the cost of having those teams there? Because you know that all of these expenses you're making is worth it. And I must say this, be okay if you're going to run at the loss. I know many entrepreneurs know this already, at the loss for the first five years. It's fine. I think that's just how most businesses run. You may run at the loss for a while, but at some point you need to break even and then begin to make some profits. But it doesn't mean that the product has failed or the solution has failed because in year one, you made a loss. No, or year two, you are still making a loss. I think it's just on cost you need to, but many companies have run that way. Many companies I worked in, I remember I worked in Abzone at some point, but when I first started, they were literally running at a loss for more than a year. They got investors money, they were just running at a loss. But now Abzone is crazily successful. You can go Abzone, I mean, when I joined, they were still very much small. Now they have raised money. They have they have this cloud cloud-based banking solution that many banks are using. They do card instant card issuance. Everywhere you see Nigeria, where instant you can walk in and get a card instantly. It was Abzone. I even handled the deployment to Access Bank. Then they were not very much known, but now they are they are very profitable. And many companies are like that, just losing money. And you may, and you may think that you're you're just like you're just you're just burning cash, but you're not. You're really as long as you have your sure that this solution is truly viable, you may burn cash for a while, but the point comes that you break even and you begin to do very well. So I think iteration is key. You keep iterating, you keep looking at trends globally and locally, and you build, but think from the get-go global, but never forget your local solution sets. Like this is the problem I'm solving here. And I think that if I've solved this here, I can solve this in this market and that market and that market. And then you now begin to scale from there. As I wrap up, I want to emphasize this because I know that a lot of entrepreneurs fall into this trap. An app is not a solution. It is a channel to deliver value to your customers. Don't think app first, think value. What's the value I am giving? And how is this going to generate some of the revenue to me? Not first of all, but how am I going to get money off this? And then how is it going to deliver that value to the customer? That's what you should think about first. Start look, start manual, it's okay. But know that the app ultimately is just a means to get the value to the customer. So that's all I can say for now. Um, if you have any questions, please feel free to ask. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, awesome, awesome, awesome. Thank you so much for that wonderful one. Thank you, thank you so much. Guys, that was wonderful. Can I get some reactions in the chat feed? Let's get some reactions in the chat feed towards that. I mean, that was mighty uh, for me because the, the, the beginning of your talk had to bother on focusing on the core, which is the solution, right, that you're providing. Truly, a lot of entrepreneurs really want to be co-founders or want to be founders of a tech company. And the best way to have that is to have an app on the app store or at least a web-based a web platform mm -hmm. where you can say, oh, I run solutions.ng. And then, you know, everybody can say, oh, wow, you're a founder, wow. So you introduce yourself as, Okay, I'm a co-founder, you know, solutions of NG. I'm a CEO founder, Kiniko Kiniko. And yeah. sincerely, that is that vibe that really gets it for a lot of entrepreneurs that we have today. Forgetting that the solution is what we're supposed to be focusing on. We focus on the medium instead, right? right. Trying to see how we can build something that people will now see. And then we start going to investors. We start hearing them say, what exactly are you solving? What's the what's the solution? What's your problem? Mm -hmm. like, what's the problem you're solving? What's the solution? And I'm like, right. oh, no, we built something with... Uh, I mean, we even use the um, blockchain to build uh, this. Yeah. Oh, God, we know. <laughs> what are you solving? 
this person, yeah. this other person was doing it cheaper. And I mean, why do you have to spend all of this to do it? When somebody, you know, so I, I'm really particular about that first thing you said, how that you need to focus on the core, right? And you mentioned that having a global mindset really, really helps. Because sincerely, when you see guys who build, um, especially the tech part, for instance, now then you're building and you're building just with a myopic mindset, right? You very likely just build for the current, so the current market that you're, you're focusing on and forget that, oh, there's a possibility to scale, right? And I mean, in that kind of case, it's, it's let me even go to the, like the smallest thing possible. So you see guys all build without frameworks and you're like, <laughs> how do you expect? So, okay, let's take, for instance, we get somebody to work with us from the US today and then the guy is coming on or you leave the company and then somebody has to come and take over. Yeah. There's no oh. framework. How would it continue? Somebody right. now has to go sit down and build another, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that was mind-blowing. That was mind-blowing. Thank you so much. A lot of people are, you know, showing you some love in the chat feed. I know that they still get to hear from you. Please, if you right. have questions, do well to drop them in the questions, um, in the questions feed. We're going to take them later. We'll still hear from, um, from Richard. Let's go straight to um, TJ now, right? Let's listen to TJ for the next few minutes. Let's also have TJ, you know, speak to us. Let's hear some things from TJ. And then, you know, we can go straight into the panel session. TJ, you have the floor. You're welcome. Thank you very much, Emmanuel Chaplin. Uh, okay. <laughs> You're laughing. Yeah. That was a very interesting um, introduction you gave of me. Full disclosure, I'm not the um, one that originated the whole cheat thing. I wouldn't sound the glory. I know you didn't originate it. Don't, 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 don't cast me out. In our, well, 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 nobody's going to come for you anymore. But in our hostel, you are the go-to person. I mean, <laughs> it's a close session. <laughs> yeah, but then yeah. we don't say that out loud. <laughs> but anyways, um, thanks, Chaplin. Um, and that was a very um, interesting talk from, from Richard. Richard went through the... Uh, Richard did a very good um, job on describing the, the old problem solution part. I would um, talk about building for the global, um, building solutions for the global um, markets or building tech solutions to global, uh, local uh, solutions to global tech problems from, more from my experience with building Bumper. So for context here, I set out as a software engineer and um, I've done a, 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 I've been a software engineer for quite a while. And okay, I know you have to talk about me. <laughs> so um, Bumper is building the commerce infrastructure for Africa. And in so doing, we are building the commerce infrastructure for the, the other emerging markets, um, Latin America, um, Southeast Asia and um, other emerging markets like that. And I'll go into more details into how um, we are thinking about this and how it's turned out to be other emerging markets rather than just building for Nigeria or just building for, for Africa, right? So um, I would like to approach this from two main um angles that's from the why and the how so why why build global solutions to local tech problems and how to build global solutions to local problems um richard has done something very extensive on on, on the how i'll just add some little additions and um also share my experience with um, building bumper for the past um two years now 
uh, well, if we start with the why, I don't want to cast any um, shadow on the apparent reason why, given the fact that we are mostly Nigerians on this call, you already know why you should um, you should take care of yourself when it comes to things like that. Uh, it works with the regulators, the um, failing infrastructures and stuff like that. Nigeria is just, a, it's just, um, it's just you leaving a lot of value on the table if you decide to limit your scope of the scope of your vision or the scope of your solution to Nigeria alone, especially given the fact that um, most of our problems here, most of our problems in Nigeria um, is also applies to other African countries and also applies to other places that you would be surprised to, um, to note that they have similar problems, especially places like um, Latin America, for example. We have um, Brazil, we have other countries there that they have a very similar demography to what we have here in Nigeria. And your interesting solutions in Nigerian problems yeah, might just be what they need there also. So why limit yourself and why battle with Nigerian challenges, could, um, so to say, to, um, to, to uh, why, why not just go global? Well, Richard has given, <laughs> has given um, details on how to go global. But, um, the market opportunity. So was it uh, a couple of years back when um, BVM was introduced? Uh, we've always been saying like, this is, we found us quote unquote, when pitching about our solutions, we always like to say how big the Nigerian population is and how the market is large over here. And uh, what's interesting to note is once you launch, you realize that that's your very large market. It's large, but it's not really. It's not as it's not the one hundred one hundred and fifty million users that you are expecting. No, that's not what you're gonna get. Um, when BVN launch, I think I don't have the exact numbers, but we I know we don't have up to fifty million BVNs registered in Nigeria. That's um, that that's a big percentage that is lost. So your target audience is not exactly the paper the the, the a paper and nice slide target audience. The target audience is probably even um, more smaller than that. So that's one reason why you most likely want to start thinking global once you get your product rights locally. Um, another thing is access to capital and funding. So for us at um, Bumper, most of, shall I say, our, our cap table comprise 50-50 of both local investors and foreign investors. And it's always interesting to us because the foreign investors typically just reached out and we're like, we see what you're doing in this market. We are um, XYZ, we invest in um, Sub-Saharan Africa, we invest in the MENA region, we invest in Latin America. And I'm always like, why are these this, 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 this guys notice you because number one, you're doing something great right there. And secondly, because they see the, the potentials beyond just Nigeria. They are already seeing um, it's going into other regions where they are exposed to. So that's another reason why, because if you limit yourself to, um, to, to the Nigerian space, you would, um, you would be so to say limited to the resources available to play with in Nigeria, and that's just um, a lot of limitations on 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 yourself and on your startup or, or the business as as it may be. And 
Another thing, one um, reason why, which is kind of interesting, I'm just finding that out right now while building bumper is building with thinking global, so to say, helps you build with international standards. And um, <clears throat> Richard was saying something about um, art coding stuff. And uh, yeah, I was going to mention that. So when you already know that tomorrow you most likely will have a user from Ghana or you most likely will have a user from Kenya. And um, when you already have all that in mind, your product team, your development team would not would, would start thinking of internalization, for example, right from the get-go. And uh, we're not saying you should translate your, your app or your software into multiple languages from the start, but providing the, um, the background, the framework, adding internalization into your code right from the ground. Would 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 definitely make that switch very very easy and um, very very easy just to put that way. So um, in my my bumper experience with this is we when when we launched um, Sales Cabal that was sometimes before the around the lockdown last year. Um, we majority of the users there we, we we got a lot of users from Nigeria right, but later down the line we started noticing signups from other African countries, Kenya and Ghana. More interesting one was we started noticing signups from um, European countries as well, from, um, from the UK, from Switzerland. I wasn't even expecting Switzerland and Germany. And we started looking at, okay, why? I started looking into the analytics and seeing how did these guys even find us? What did they type in their browser that made them find us? And we started seeing, looking, seeing that people are actually looking for um, solution. Funny enough, I feel like, or no, I feel like I know they have solutions to this problem, especially in the in the UK, in the in in, um, in Europe, for example. But they're looking for better solutions or looking for more solutions to 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 the problem of um, exposure on the internet, e-commerce, um, inventory management, and stuff like that. So. That was very interesting to us, and that made that opened our eyes to see that okay, whatever we are working on now, we need to have it in mind that this thing is most likely going to be in the hands of a Brazilian in the next one year, or in the hands of um, someone from Switzerland in the next one year, or the hands of someone from Ghana, for example. And it's also helped us understand where our next move might be. So moving beyond Nigeria now, we already know where the demand is. It's more like the the market is pulling you. And you're getting if when if you see a hundred signups on your app, for example, and you see ten from from Ghana and one from South Africa, it's no brainer that your next move should be Ghana, right? So um, things like that just um, helped us inform our decision and 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 guide us towards building a global solution, so to say. So. If I would do a quick um, run through on the how, the first thing, as um, Richard mentioned, is the mindset, the mindset of building um, um, a global solution to a problem that might have started as a local problem. Um, and one way to imbibe the, the mindset of building a global solution is to get exposure to, the, to other markets. So many of us in, let me use Nigeria, for example, uh, our knowledge of the, um, outer world is limited to what we see on TV and um, stuff. But if you have the, the budget and the time and, and um, the resources basically, as a founder, 
starting something, it would be very nice to expose yourself to other countries, like take a trip, visit um, some of these other emerging markets, especially emerging markets like Nigeria. You'll be surprised to see the similarities between Nigeria and all those other countries. Funny enough, this, they also uh, share some of the challenges, like why, why, some reasons why doing business is quite difficult in Nigeria, um, applies to other emerging markets, but it's not, um, not saying Nigeria is bad, but it's not, it's not really as difficult over there. You might just realize that this country, this startup that you're trying to like scale in Nigeria, that is, that is like take, sucking out all your blood and, and water might just be easy easier to to float in another location and interesting enough it might not even be a a um is it do we call it prime locations we're not saying you should go get a us visa or something it might just be a a a a, a, a brazil or yeah there are many places like this world is basically now like nowadays with the internet the world is basically at your fingertips so try to explore that's my own, usually my advice. I'm like, just go somewhere, explore, get exposed to where else is going in other parts of the world. Like you'll be, it'll be interesting to see um, that, you'll be interesting to see the similarities between um, the Jewish and other parts. So and another thing or, or another um, uh, thing is the, the culture of the company. So usually some, um, startups, when you receive funding, you invest a lot in a location, in an office space and all. Um, that's, I wouldn't say it's unnecessary, depending on the type of business. Some, for some business, it's really important to like get physical location and, 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 and do stuff like that. But when you're thinking, if you want to think global and you want to be very flexible enough, you need to um, create a kind of um, setting that allows you to float across locations, basically. Uh, for Bumper, for example, we have team members in the US, we have team members in UK, yeah, US, UK, and the others are in Nigeria, yeah, and we work majorly remotely. If I am to um, pack up and leave right now, I can operate Bumper in any country, basically, and serve any member, any any country also. So um, that's another thing to be conscious of if you don't absolutely need a physical building in Nigeria that is going to sunk, uh, sink in and um, cost you a lot of money and add to your bond rates, you can you know, invest that same money in building a more diverse team that would even add more value to, to your company. Um, yeah, so that's aside, the next, um, my next point on how would also be in line of funding. Um, a lot of startups don't really get how difficult, or a lot of emerging founders, let me say young founders, don't get how difficult fundraising can be and how important funding can be to the survival of, of, of a company. So if you are talking about um, building for the global market right now, it's also going to you know, cost a lot of money, right? It's going to it's travel expenses and stuff like that. And the interesting thing is, I would, I dare say, you would attract, so there's this thing about building tech companies. The more complex the problem, the more high quality talents you are, you'd attract into the, into the business. And also the more access or availability of funding somehow you get. I'm not saying you should go start looking for complex problems to solve, but 
if um, a founder is, it take for example, pitching a, a an investor on a on a play that is just limited to Nigeria, the chances of him getting the the yes from the investor might be a little slimmer than if the investor can himself see that okay, this play is um, this play works for Nigeria, but it's something that can be um, scaled across Nigeria, scaled across Africa, scaled across the whole world. So, um, yeah, take Osnau now, for example, or Bomba, companies like Osnau now and Bomba. Like, Osnau can serve companies, um, can serve customers from literally any country in the world. Like, I'm a South African, I can sign up on Osnau now and um, get a domain name and purchase Austin and um, SSL security and stuff like that. So, um, that's just one of the effects, as I was saying. So scaling beyond Nigeria, it should be, what you should just be conscious of when scaling beyond Nigeria is one, the pull by the customers. Where are they pulling? Where are they looking for you? It's not where you want to go. Now, many of us want to probably be in Canada or in the US, but if Canada and US is not really demanding or pulling you, if you're, you're getting attention from um, Europe, for example, or from, or from Southeast Asia, for example, it's a no-brainer that you should be thinking of going to Europe or going to Southeast, Southeast Asia. And also, where are your, where are your investors coming from? Um, I mentioned that Bumper, we have a, a, like almost a 50-50, like, uh, yeah, it's not, I, I don't know the numbers, but a lot of our investors are actually from, actually foreigners. Let me, I won't call them foreigners. Let me just say international people, right? And um, that can also, they can give us access to their, to other um, countries or other communities, other spaces. So if your investor is say from, um, from UK, for example, and you're trying to expand into UK, automatically you have, a, you have someone who has skin in the game and who has leg in your business that is there that can help you navigate the waters, um, help you with regulation, um, regulatory requirements, help you with quick setup and stuff like that, attract talent. And uh, some, some countries also have policies on having a, a, like a C-level executive of the company being an indigenous of the country. So you might as well look into, you know, networking your way into um, hiring a CTO or a CTOO from a local C CTO or CTO from that country, if you're gonna be um, expanding into the country. And it's also good because you need someone who knows the local terrain. You can't just um, <clears throat> take, take, for example, jump into Kenya and expect to be the big, big bad guy in the in, in streets. You just, you most likely have it very difficult for you. So that's another thing, another thing to note on how to um, scale globally. And um, another thing to mention is very, very small things that um, tech people or product people might not. And product people are actually conscious of it, but founders might not be conscious of it. Take, take for example, naming your startup. You should, if it's something that is going that you intend to, you know, um, be a global solution, you should be conscious of what 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 your, what 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 um, what you what you're gonna call it. You don't want to use a word that sounds okay in, in English, but has an obscene meaning in French, for example. You know, we have very interesting word like that. That. You say it's, it sounds okay in Nigeria, it sounds okay in English language, but someone, um, a Japanese, we hear that and it's going to sound like an insult. Like, are you, are you trying to annoy me or something? 
So very little things like that, things around um, internet, um, adding um, internalization, internationalization, sorry, into your app from get-go, um, having proper naming con uh, conventions, having um, the app, basically building with um, the international standards in mind. So that's um, basically my thoughts around um, building global solutions to local tech problems. Right. And um, yeah, I, I think for the next, I'll be available for the panel sections, just, you know, chit chat, talk around it and hear and share ideas. Awesome. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much uh, for that. That was, that was wonderful. I particularly like the fact that you came in from the, uh, you started with the aspect of why, right? Um, Yes, Richard has been able to talk a lot about, you know, the a bit of the how. And I think he was really very particular about the product, the how for the product. I like how you you were more 360 degree, right? Looking into the culture of the business, looking into um, opportunities that you might not see, looking into how that internationalization does not really necessarily have to do only with the code. It can also be in, factored in from the get-go, from the mindset and every other thing that, um, you know, you do in the business. And I think that's like really, really, um, really important because sincerely, I mean, you mentioned it. I, I remember yesterday, I, I I saw a skit. There's this guy on Instagram who who does um, reels and TikTok uh, videos. I think he usually would do French and English. He has this French side, English side. I can't remember his name right now. So he would speak in French and then translate it to English. And there's that dilemma between French and English. And um, yesterday, the one I saw was where the French guy was saying that, oh, it was talking to the English guy, the English guy lost the job and he said, oh, hey, that's good. So now you can get acidic. And the English guy was wondering, what? Why would you say that? Well, apparently acidic is a term used to define a pool of money that they have set aside. The French um, government has set aside for people who don't have work. Apparently that's what they call it. A-S-E-I-D-E-I-C or something, right? But now imagine you are called your startup as a french person you called your startup that then you enter into an english culture and they're wondering what are these people doing <laughs> right so i particularly I, I definitely understand that even from the naming and I, I like the part where you also mentioned um exposure very important very very important so a lot of a lot of our entrepreneurs especially nigerian entrepreneurs um that i know of really might not get exposed as, as much as possible right um yes we're building nigerian companies that was the highest who have traveled is through netflix and youtube and google right but actually going to these countries would open up um you open up your eyes to see opportunities that you probably never saw from your home country and i think i understand that especially with the kind of countries that are emerging markets like your own country where you currently have your you know your products or where you're looking to um to activate your current product right um you realize that yes a lot of this thing. so my friend a friend of mine went to um rwanda recently and then when he came back he couldn't shut up about how oh my god this thing that we're doing here oh they really need it there this one we have to go there that one i'm like dude we've always known that rwanda is like an emerging market but i mean i didn't think it was this much but the guy went there he saw firsthand the problems he talked to the locals he interacted with them okay what problems are you having and then it's one he's wondering really so we might really be myopic if we don't um expose ourselves to other markets by physically you know visiting some of these countries i definitely definitely get that i think it's very very important and then there's also you mentioned the complexity of the problem yeah that's true um the the 
a lot of us uh, would just find something small. And then again, I mentioned this again, just because we are particular about being co-founders of a tech company, we jump into using technology to solve the problem. Even if the problem could be solved manually, right? Even if the, we've seen companies that are manual, manually uh, run, or maybe a bit of both, right? And they scale and they're in other countries, they're global, right? And all of that. So. I think that um, what you've mentioned very important, I particularly like how you've talked about the peripheral aspect of it. Richard was more particular into the products. And I think um, you guys have covered like a whole lot. We're going to go into questions now. Um, I know Richard's had um, a bit of a technical issue, but he's back now. Richard, are you here? Richard. I know he had some technical issue earlier. Okay, maybe maybe he'll join us as soon as he's back. I'm sure he's going to unmute himself, right? But let's go straight to questions. So, guys, um, it's time to ask questions. Um, let's go straight to the you know the panel session. Let's get um, some questions in. I know that there's some questions already in the Q and A, and I'll just ask one of them before I go to my own questions, right? So, someone says, "How can one improve a dying brand whose market is really broad, but still is running at a loss?" That's interesting. Um, First of all, the cocoa here is that the brand is dying. There's markets, but it's dying. I can already see a problem there. If there is market and your brand is still dying, I mean, right? So um, TJ, I think you should jump in and answer that question, right? How can one improve a dying brand whose market is broad, but is still running at a loss? Okay, I think that's a very, um, should I say critical term to use? to describe a brand like as in calling it a dying brand even though the market is broad so i think um context would be very useful in this question like why is it, why is it, why is the, um, the brand dying if the market is indeed broad are the business owners doing something wrong yep. um like they have to definitely be doing something wrong if the the, 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 the market is um very broad so i think some context will be useful for this but basically off my head what i would say is um to go back to the drawing board like um it's never you've never how do you say i don't like to use all these buzzword and jargons that entrepreneurs throw around but until you like literally stop working on it it's never really dead or failed so um I would go back to review the products, like even go back to review the vision. Like, why are we even doing what we are doing, right? Why exactly are we doing what we are doing? Go back to review the vision, then re then review the products and walk your way right from the back. Literally starting all over again, maybe. But um, like I said, context is useful. It will be useful here. Uh, there are many ways to improve dime brands. It depends on the vertical that the business is playing in. Depends on... Um, the market also depends on where the market is going to. One very useful way would be to be able to um, get a foresight of where the market would be in the next two years and next four years and position yourself very well to capture the, 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 the near future. Not, I'm not saying think 20 years ahead or something, but position yourself to capture um, the, 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 next, the near future. If your competitors are already chopping out on the current bread to be spread right now, um, it might be useful to try to think ahead of the competitors of the competition rather and um, capture the near future of the markets. That's something that's that's like a broad, uh, a general um, advice that cuts across multiple verticals. But um, like I said, context will be useful for this. Yeah, great. 
great. Thank, thank you for that. Thank you for that. Um, Richard, are you here now? Can I ask you? Because I have a question for Richard. But I don't know if he's here yet. Richard, are you here? If you're... Richard. Yes, can you hear me? Okay, great. Yes, we can hear you now. Um, so, so I've got a question for you. And this is the panel session, right? So um, you can feel free to... Um, all right to open up your video and then we can all have these conversations so uh you you talked about the product you were very cool to the product right and i think even tj mentioned this at some point metrics research and um you know understanding those numbers really really important to uh building whatever products that you have so i'm going to paint the scenario and i want you to speak to this right um, and this has happened to me before, by the way. We right. sat together and we said, you know what? We're already serving these markets. We already have people who are buying our products, but we need new products. Why? Because we need revenue. Revenue is very important, especially when you have board members who are on your head saying, dude, your Q1 is this. We're expecting this in your year two. We're expecting this in your Q3. And you're like, okay, you know what? It looks like this current product will try to expand markets, but we're not expanding more than this particular point. Let's get something in. Let's get new product. And then you guys sit down together by yourselves think of a wonderful product within yourselves how it's going to mm -hmm. do this you know you know all those products that we used to come up with that is like nah we'll make 10 billion in like one year that's all those products but yeah <laughs> you think of all those products and you're like okay awesome this and that let's get this in then overnight you called your uh maybe your ui ux person guy design this front end and back end oh yeah front end quickly put something together back end in less than two weeks we have the product we ship and then we spend a lot of money trying to, you know, get this thing out. We spend marketing, we did balls, all of that. And we're expecting that maybe say a thousand users in like maybe first month to even validate it to us and say that, okay, this product is so awesome. Um, TJ mentioned that, mm -hmm. you know how we like to say we have 150 million, in fact, 200 million people. 150 million of those people are viable market and all of those things. And by the way, yes, yeah, TJ, yeah. we have over 40 million BVN uh, account, bank accounts registered. And attached to a BVM. Many BVM themselves would probably be like 10 something million. Imagine. Now, out of that 150 million, let's even get 1,000 in the first month. You get. And then we do that. And first month, we get like two. Or maybe we get like 10, all of us on the team. And maybe our friends. <laughs> right? And we're wondering, yeah. okay, what's going on here? Right? And then we keep doing ads. We keep right. doing We go and do adverts. We go and talk to people and everything. But I mean, users are not signing up. As a product person, you can already tell what the problem is right there, right? Um, and I know that a lot of entrepreneurs do this. As I said, I've done it before, right? A lot of us do this. There's something critical that we have missed there, and I want you to speak to the importance of it, which is speaking to the markets, asking questions, doing research. I want you to jump in here and you know talk to that a little bit. Let us see the importance of it because building global solutions will not come from oh yes, let's sit down together and you know wonderful ideas. We've seen wonderful ideas that mm -hmm. have gone you know dead, and we've seen yeah. stupid ideas that are making wonderful money. So please jump in and speak to that. Yes. So the, the thing, the thing I would say and I've learned is, you can sit in the comfort of your office and come up with a wonderful solution. I mean, in your head, it works. There's no reason why it shouldn't work. But while that is good, you what is always helpful to validate that it is. You are coming up with this. I think for me, how, how ideas come is very funny because some ideas come from your own personal experiences. They come from your own personal biases and your outlooks to life. That is not the outlook of every other person. 
you're not building a product or a solution for yourself. Well, in case of this, you may want to build it for yourself, but that's just for entertainment. I mean, I don't want to make any money. But if you want to build a solution that will bring in revenue and that will actually solve a problem, you think about it, that's great. Then I, that, what I've seen is you need, you must run it by other people, first of all. That's like your first step. So you have your colleagues, you have an idea. Maybe maybe it's just you that had the idea. Run it by your colleagues and let them poke holes in it. Something I do. So sometimes what I do is I use Google Docs. I'll just write how I imagine it's going to work completely and then share it with something like a colleague to look at and review. Now that colleague is looking at it from his own biases, his own mindsets, the way he has pictured things to be. He'll poke holes in what you have, what you have said out or he will ask you provoke, thought-provoking questions. Yeah. Now, imagine that you had that idea first, and you just went to go and start building. That's where these kind of things will happen. So it's good to have that. Then you can't just stop there. I think it's now next to define clearly who are the people that are going to use. That demography is always very important. Who do you anticipate or plan that will be using this? Like, what do they do? First of all, what do they do? What are their needs? What... Um, what, what drives them? What is their motivation? That's why UX designers will create things like personas. This is a day, he's 32 years old, he's this, this is that. It helps. So now you look at that, you find that you further refine the solution set gradually. And then you now decide to, to, to test that. One of the things I found, calling customers, you have a, a demography, you don't call, or you send like surveys, email surveys, or including physical surveys, however it is, asking pertinent questions about your solution set. Basically, what you want to find is, would you find the solution useful? And if if yes, what are, what would, you know, I remember we were doing something for, um, we're trying to figure out what next person after carbon, what's the next thing we can do? We want to grow our loan books. Like we want to dispose two billion naira in a month and all of that. But we are doing everything we can, but we are still not hitting it. What's the new thing we can do? One of the things that myself and the product designer did was that we had a, we created a, a questionnaire and we just asked questions about loans. And they asked, if I want to question on the open question, I remember I asked, if you were to create your own loan product, how would you want it to be? Now, that sounds stupid. Why are you asking someone that is a retailer that question? But the truth is, you'll be amazed at the kind of insights you will get from people when you don't just give them closed, you know, closed sort of questions. Let them talk. Let them express themselves. Of course, people put all sorts of things, but you're not going to take everything they say, but you sort of filter through and really get to what they are, what they really, what they really need. And that helped. And, we can, and at the end of the day, what we saw was that people just wanted their business to top up their loans in addition to other things. We found that out because we communicated with the customers and they gave us that feedback. It is key because you go out, if not, you will waste your time on something that should work when it's not going to work. But when you have validated it with customers, you, you most likely cannot go wrong then. So that's, that's I don't know if that helps, but that's sort of how I, I would say you need to validate an idea you have with the customers. And um, besides your colleagues, because your colleague can be biased, you ask my colleagues something in the fintech space, it's like, oh, yes, it's a good idea. Ask a real customer who's going to use that product if that person is going to find it useful. So that's what I would say. Awesome, awesome. Thank you so much for that. And funny enough, that was exactly what my and my team had to go do because we figured out that. So what we we didn't even go to markets. That's the thing, right? Um, we but we knew at some point before building that something was missing. 
we had thought about it. We right. had that overnight session. You know those overnight sessions? Right? Yeah. And just would just drop and we're like, yes, that. So before me, yeah. Then we had all those boards. I mean, my some of my guys are on this call and then they know they'll be laughing by now because we laughed about it so many times, right? And then what we eventually had to do was now go ask questions, right? So we, we had to go mm-hmm. ask questions from, from the users, the expected users, the prospective users, right? Yeah. If yes. you need this, what aspect of this? Is it even the broad solution that you need? It could be just one thing of that whole thing that you're thinking that would yes, do it correct, there, right? And we figured out that, okay, all the things we were asking, trying to put together, they didn't need. It was just a fraction. So we, are, we don't say, okay, you know, we'll focus on this fraction and then we'll see how we can sell that and then, you know, move ahead, which eventually the product is going to come out sometime next month, right? Which we're working on, right? Okay. And I mean, if we didn't do that, I'm sure I would have spent so much more money trying to validate the idea of myself by going to market directly instead of asking questions from people. But validation, as I said, is very, very important. But another thing that I know, for instance, now this is going to TJ. Um, some entrepreneurs don't know when to stop. For instance, they've made a mistake from the beginning, right? Or maybe they didn't even make a mistake. And then there's this, there's this um, stage that startups get to. I call it limbo, right? You're trying to be global. You're trying to you're trying to scale. You have made some success, but you're not getting past that particular point. So, for instance, you have say ten thousand users, but for like so many months, you're not going past ten thousand users. First year, you're not breaking that limit. Second year, you're not breaking that limit. Then you begin to have the question of okay. Do we quit? Ah, no, I cannot quit. I cannot be a failure. This company cannot be a failure. You know, everybody has ginger do that. No matter what, this com- you can build a company for so many years and not make it. And can you can you Okay, let's stay there. But then again, we're staying there. Revenue is not increasing. Profit is not increasing. In fact, profit margin is reducing because things are getting harder in Nigeria. The cost of doing business is getting harder. And you don't want to also change your price all of a sudden because there's a competitor there that your clients just go and, you know, jump to. And that 10,000 is reducing. What's going on? You know, all of those things, problems. I'm not saying this is a particular thing to do, but I'm saying for businesses that need to quit, right? When do you know? And TJ, I really need you to answer this because I know... There's, you've had something similar sometime in your journey, right? When do you know when it is time to, how do you know when it is time to quit as a business, really? Okay, that was a very good one, Emmanuel. Um, uh, okay, <laughs> this is interesting because telling an entrepreneur to quit is like telling them to go and kill themselves for some entrepreneurs. It's... Um, it's a very hard pill to swallow for a lot of people. Um, but uh, they, I think the, the, the best approach to this is not, is, is, is not to go the quit round, but to use the more startup friendly term, which the guys like to use, which is pivots. Um, sometimes you don't need to quit, you just need to like <laughs> quit, but do it in the pivot sense. So um, as far as I'm concerned, pivot is just it's just under it's just a, an euphemism for for quitting. It's just a very nice sugar coating around it. Um, but yeah, there are some times when the business or the market is, is is being very straight with you and 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 letting you know that this is not working and it's just giving you a lot of attack. What what I used to tell people is when the thing wants to kill you, like when you're no more deriving joy out of it then you should start looking into other things, right? 
startup is not the only thing to do on it. Um, entrepreneurship is not the only thing to do on it, rather. Um, I know like successful startup founders, very successful ones who um, exited and they picked up jobs. They got like really um, good um, management level positions in larger firms and they're living the good life. And they will tell you they're enjoying their life now better than when they were running around doing startups. I'm not saying um, that's what people should do, but then it's, it's an option, right? And um, but to attack the, the question head on, the first thing might not be to quit. Yeah, of course, as an entrepreneur, you should be very, very um, resilient. You should be ready to hammer it out and uh, figure it out. Sometimes you might just be the one least like um, for me, uh, quitting on something might be very difficult because um, as a coder from scratch, I enjoy coding. Like even when things are not going, I can just land. Like my own way of crying to it is just to go and sit down quietly somewhere and just start coding, right? So it's therapeutic for me. If I have to like quit, quit and quit coding, that's me doing myself because what else will I do in my life if I'm not coding, right? So um, for someone like me, that's that it's um, uh, not, I won't use the word entrepreneurship, but I'll use the word um, working, programming, coding. It's how I relax, it's how I make sense of life, so to say. Um, but when the challenge of the businesses and when the market is throwing you negative signals and all, that is the time to start looking at other opportunities around the same market. Sometimes we have this problem of target fixation where we're fixated on the problem that we're trying to solve, but we've closed our eyes to other little opportunities all around the problem that might actually be less stressful and better solutions. Better, it might be what the, you might be feeling like, uh, exactly what uh, Richard just said. You might be feeling like, like that was what the market, that is what the markets want, want, want and wants rather. Or it might have been working in the past, then it stopped working. What you should do at that point is, you know, go back into the markets, reverse engineer the process, go back to the customer. This is a cheat code. Go back, ask them what they want. If I'm selling you A and you're no more buying A or I'm not getting new buyers, ask them, what do you want? They will tell you they want B. B might be something totally different from what you are doing. It might be you're selling bags. Now they don't want bags anymore. They want shoes. Go get them shoes. Sell it. You already have 10,000 customers that are buying bags. I'm a shoe on them and look for new people that want shoes, right? So um, I think as an entrepreneur, we should be very flexible and very, the word here is street smarts, but I don't want to use the word street smarts. We should be like smart enough to figure out that it is basically a demand and supply problem. If what you are supplying, there's no more demand for it, look for what has demand and supply it. Yep. That is it. Thank you very much for that. Thank you so much. Because um, eventually the goal of building a business is you're solving a problem, but you need to make enough money to stay in business to solve more problems, right? Because uh, if you're, and you know, a lot of entrepreneurs are very emotional towards some of their solutions. You know, this is probably a lifelong thing for you. You know, you're so particular about it. For instance, maybe a green energy solution because people are not doing, they're not taking care of the earth very well. And then your green energy solution is not making enough money. You go out of business and nobody's going to, you know, um, nobody's going to see you or your solutions anymore. But you need to, as he said, pivot, which is a very important word in all of the things that you said, because sincerely, it's a fancy word for saying, Kindly quit. 
right? <laughs> but but it's 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 what a lot of us have done. It's it's something I'm looking to do in one of my businesses look currently and all of that. And I think um, as entrepreneurs, we need to be really flexible, as you said, um, so that when we, we can see and we can know when to pivot, uh, really. Um, one thing is particular, whenever we have HNN Activate, we usually would bring on speakers that I know that they work with, they work on solutions that are very uh, useful to our audience, our community. Yourself, uh, Richard and TJ are, are building, uh, working on solutions that SMEs and even entrepreneurs themselves could find very useful. And I'm really particular about you sharing some of those things with us today. So, uh, for instance, I know that with with, um, with um, branch branches, a, a you can get loans on the platform. There are investments, there's transfers, and all of that. But I want to leave it to you, Richard. Kindly talk to us in a few minutes, just maybe one one minute. Tell us about branch. We have a lot of entrepreneurs here today. Some tech, some not tech. Right? How do we get to um, benefit from from branch as it is? Okay. Yeah. So, um, so branch provides uh, pretty much aims to become a digital bank, uh, which I know is pretty much cliche now in the fintech space because everyone seems to want to do that. But I think this, our strengths are in a very diverse and very global approach to things. I think we're not the only fintechs that have like presence in many markets outside of. Uh, of of, um, of Nigeria, um, so you can get an instant loan. All you need to do is download the app um, on your phone, and based on um, we have machine learning that happens, and all of that, we're able to know how much exactly we can give you. Know your credit rating, and then give you a loan, um, not more than five hundred thousand. Um, they are retail loans. That's just the truth. Um, we're looking to one of the things that branch would look to at some point to, to have like SME loans, loans for businesses. But right now, the focus is really on just ensuring that we have a much more larger spread of customers in Nigeria. So loans, bill payments are free. Um, funds transfers are completely free. There's no limit. You know, some other fintechs will say, okay, 25 funds transfers and they start paying. This is free. You can do 1,000 transfers. There's no charge for it. Um, and then you can do investments and earn up to 20% annually on your investments um, with brand, which is pretty much the highest than above every other fintech, basically. Um, and there are many that are in the works I cannot review right now, but pretty much the idea is that brand wants to become, when you think of doing fin anything financial transaction, you think of branch. That's really where we are going. And we're replicating this in Kenya, India, Tanzania, you know, and all our other markets, many more that would expand to before the end of this year or early next year. Um, so yes, um, business, for, for businesses and entrepreneurs, I think right now, not, that's not in the pipeline, but that's something that would come at some point. Um, um, and and that's, that's pretty much what our focus is right now. So yeah, that's just a, a, a brief of, um, of branch. Great. Thank you. Thank you very much. I mean, even if you're not a business individually, there's so much more you can, you know, you can benefit from branch. I'd like us to please um, connect with branch. I know on Instagram, they are branch underscore NG. Just type in branch. You see them branch international um, connect with them. Richard, um, you can connect with him on LinkedIn, right? Richard Yoha Osage. You can see his name on, um, on his um, feed. I still have a few questions, but first of all, I'd like to give our indulgences guys. I don't like to waste time. So I want to, um, I'd like to solicit for some extra 15 minutes so that we can, I can see some questions in the chat and I really like us to attend to them, right? Um, so uh, extra 15 minutes to stay on this call so that we can do that. Hopefully TJ gets back in and then he's also um, able to talk about um, Bumper and what they're doing mm. for SMEs with Bumper. Well, oh, straight up. TJ is here. TJ is where? 
Yeah, I'm here. <laughs> okay, cool, 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 cool. Okay, CJ, um, I'm going to ask um, Richard a question, but just before, um, immediately after that, I'm going to need you to talk about uh, Bumper and um, what your smart retail platform has in store and, um, you know, for entrepreneurs, right? And if there's anything for individuals, I'd like you to you know, also share that with us. But immediately after my question to Richard's now. So Richard, someone asked about entering into new markets, right? Um, for instance, she says, she, I think it's a she, yeah? Uh, you run a business in Nigeria, you want to enter into North America, right? The service is the same. It says the potential customers are apparently the same. So like the demographics of the customer base is the same, right? The market is the same. But then penetration is the challenge, right? So penetration is the challenge. So now this person, I think, is thinking globally. I know that somebody mentioned that a bit. Um, uh, TJ mentioned it a bit when he discussed how that um, they're seeing traction from a couple other countries and then they're already seeing how to get there. I don't know if this person is seeing traction from North America, right? But um, the person wants to expand to North America and the solution is the mm -hmm. same. The product is the same. Target market is the same. But penetration is a problem. What would you like to say to that? So um, what I would say is, um, you know, I think TJ touched on it a bit. Sometimes what helps actually just go and take a visit there. Just go there and observe as your demography um, functions. Not, not even function with regards to your solution or product, but just functions generally. See what their lifestyle is like. See, because it's one thing for you to stay here and see how they function. And another thing for you to actually be there see depending on the product say i'm sorry i'm always fintech biased if for instance it's a, a a fintech solution you may acquire me to visit the us if it's an app get the app use it or watch people use it you find how they, they use it into function in their daily life for instance it, it that may be the best way for you to even get more context to your solution and how it would and how it will have the effect there on internet effect, or you could have someone who is close to you that can help to sort of give you that context there. That could be another way, but always it's better to be there personally. I mean, all the markets have expanded to a branch, you know, for a time I've been here, even other companies, when they want to expand, I find that some there's a team of people that would actually go there, stay there for like two weeks. And not and it's basically to understand the environment, see how people behave and function. You will be surprised at the kind of insight you get as to how to penetrate that market much quickly. Because you are here and you're you're looking at it. You may think and you may not know this, but you're looking at penetrating the way it's as like Nigeria, like Nigerian market. We have a completely different ball game entirely. Let me give you a very short example for Iraqo. You know, many people don't know this, but you know what we have in Nigeria is fantastic in fintech, where you can send money to a bank account and the person receives the value instantly. In the US, it's actually not like that. It's not instant. Many people don't know this, right? It's not you can't do a funds transfer to you don't. It takes it takes sometimes twenty four hours before money you have sent to someone who gets the person's account. So if you are thinking that, I mean, you may not know this, right? But if, and you may not as see anything online about it, to be honest, because it's like a given, that's how they function. But you may not know this until you go there or someone tells you that that's how this works. So this is just a very rough example of context that would help you to say, hmm, this is how it will be very effective to penetrate this market because you are there. So that's just all I can say about that. <laughs> yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I mean, you said it, they said it, if you want to expand to a new market, a new country, go there. Just spend some time, 
learn. Yes. So whenever we go to vacation, so for instance, when I travel and I travel out of uh, Nigeria, I don't just do it because oh, I'm going to have fun in this other country. I'm always mm-hmm. thinking business. I'm always thinking, what can I do here? What are the opportunities there? Yeah. Yeah, you get. So my current business, what can we do here? Oh, okay. If it's a new market, what problems do they have that we can even solve from there and serve? So go there, talk to the locals, try and interrogate, try and talk to people, try and investigate more of these things, ask questions. Even before you go, have some questions that already that you're trying to get answers to. By the time you get there, interacting with these people will just be you asking. It's like a survey, right? But it's one on, you're there on the ground, you can see what's going on. I mean, what you just said, a lot of people don't know really that transferring money to bank accounts in the US is not instant. And yes. If you tell me you sent me money, it's a normal thing. A GT bank does not send me the money in like two seconds. I'm going to (laughs) you know, and all of those things. So, yes, please go to the to the country of the new markets where you're trying to expand to. Go there and you know learn some of these things first. And it's going to help solve some questions for you. You realize that the penetration issue you're having is something you can actually even handle by yourself without bringing on any expert as it is. So TJ, I wanted to jump in here. Tell us about Bumper. Uh, tell us about the cool stuff that you guys are doing over there and how that, um, you know, some of the guys here can also benefit from that. Because I know that some people here would definitely need to. I know some people here are not taking. So using your solution is very particular uh, for me, you know, when it, gets, when it comes to our demographics and our community. So please, jump in. Okay, thanks, um, Emmanuel. Yeah, so... Um... I mentioned that at Bumper we are building the e-commerce infrastructure for um, Africa. And um, just a quick recap on, on how, how Bumper started. Bumper actually, yeah, I started at Sales Cabal and Sales Cabal um, started from my work at Ost Cabal because we noticed we were getting a lot of demand for um, e-commerce stores and for uh, from businesses, small businesses trying to get visibility online, trying to get to put their businesses online, basically. So that's um, inspired the, the development of Sales Cabal, which then evolved into the product as it is today, as um, Bumper. So, um, you know, uh, the informal sector in, or let me say micro SMEs in Nigeria, they, so they, they, they employ about 90% of the total employable workforce in Nigeria. That's um, one incredible um, metric to me because, um, we have such a large um, space when it comes to the micro SME space, but we don't really have data on that space. Like um, there's a lot of cash transactions going on in this country that we don't know about. If, you, if we have large market structures, like um, if, you, if you live in Lagos now, you know the popular Balogun market or the popular um, eco market. So Computer Village, for example, a lot of the transactions that go there, go on there, uh, they move billion, millions and billions of per week. And most of those, um, there's no data to cut on, on that. There's really no, um, there's, it's, it's, it just goes on informally. Like people just go around um, guessing. We don't really have data. So that's part of where um, Bumper is coming in. Bumper is, um, so, so to say, a one-stop shop for micro SMEs and uh, to do businesses online. Um, we help them with their, to create an online store, inventory management, to receive online payments, and um, communicate, engage with their customers, that is, um, send invoice um, and stuff like that. So um, basically, Bumper's um, approach to this is more from the bookkeeping um, sense, because 
um, you notice if if you buy like you want to buy the shirt now, you walk into a guy's shop in, in Nigeria, for example, or in Lagos, for example, um, it will most likely pick up a paper and a pen and record that sale that say I've sold these black shirts. That's in doing inventory management on pen and paper. That paper can get lost tomorrow and everything is gone. There's really no historic, you can't use that, there's no analytics on that paper. You can't use that um, book to make informed decision next year or look at data from last year. You can't really just, that's really not, that's wasted data basically as I like to call it. So that's where Bumper steps in. With a simple mobile app, you can take the sale on its mobile phone or our mobile phone. Um, they can do their entire POS thingy from their mobile phone, from the mobile app. And that way they can, they're able to like um, have uh, record their data online, have, it, have their customer data available to them. Because um, like I mentioned with these shirts, I would just walk into the guy's shop, buy a shirt and walk out. If, if he doesn't have any way to reach me out, uh, reach out to me in future, if he has a similar one that I might like, he doesn't have a way to say, hey, you bought this thing from me last month. Are you interested in this? So that is where Bumper is stepping in. We want right. to help them uh, capture um, their customer data their, their sales um, information, their sales uh, historical data on how, how um, their, their inventory performs to help them make informed decisions on what inventory to keep, what time of the year do, do stop move, how to reach back to the customers to make repeated purchases and um, basically grow their business. And um, we, we, the, the way we, we, we like to think about this, we're building it as a platform to integrate with other services. So um, currently Bumper is integrated with many of the FinTech um, companies to enable payments. Um, we, we, are, we have partners to handle messagings. Um, we're currently integrated with um, WhatsApp to do um, notifications that is when a customer pays for an item and the item has gone out for delivery, the customer gets a notification that, okay, this item is in, in transit, you know, stuff like that. So we are building it as a platform to bring in all these other services to make them available to micro SMEs or SMEs and micro SMEs, right? To, that are not so technical service. We are beginning, giving them access to other technology tools that they can use to grow their business. So um, yeah, that's what Homepy is about. And it's available on the, um, Android and um, iOS app store and also from getbumper.com or bumper.app. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you very much for that. Um, awesome solutions. You guys are, you know, you guys are um, turning out uh, out there. And I mean, in place of data is very, very um, underserved currently. I think it's underrated the, uh, the usefulness of data, how we've been able to use data in this country to make informed decisions. I think that's what we're not doing enough uh, there. We know that Nigeria as a country generally lacks the um the prerogative to keep data right and if we do if only we do we would see that some things that we're struggling with in our businesses as smes there are things that we can just make a little tweak to our solution or the process maybe not necessarily the process maybe the products maybe the people and then everything is good right um but but then again thank you so much for what you guys are doing i mean i'm, I'm so huge on data so the ICRI recently received um, released, I think about two days ago, the data about um, how much Agberos make in Lagos. I don't know if you guys saw that. Guy, 123 billion naira in a year. 123 billion naira industry. Do you think if those guys know what they're doing, do you think they'll be doing what they do? Do you think they'll do it the way they do it? If only they know. Because to them, it's just collecting 600 naira per day or 3,000 naira. And 
Well, I, I don't know, but I make bold to say to an extent is the government that's sitting on this large sum of money because they decided these guys were largely without uniform. And I think the government looked into this data and that's why they did something about it. Remember when they started fixing Oshodi uh, just a few years ago, maybe about, I think it was during Amber time now, right? They started fixing Oshodi and all of that. Um, they started taking out all these hoodlums from the streets, started giving them all those white and green uniform and all of that. Apparently, they must have seen that these guys are making money. Because the government now has some money from the government gave them the uniform. Obviously, they have to remit to the government, either the local or the state government. A 123 billionaire industry. I'm contemplating how much am I making my business? <laughs> but then again, that's the place of data, right? You can look, you can look into it. I mean, if you can find a solution, if you can find a product that this bike man will pay 500 for on a daily basis, dude. I dare say, um, I, we will see a couple of uh, fintechs try to go into that space in the next couple of months after yeah. that data that was released. Yeah, I'm surprised to see a lot of startups yeah, trying it. to innovate in that. In that yeah. um, because now they're looking at it like, whoa, we've ignored these guys. We thought they, they're not making money. We thought there's no money here. But then again, this is a huge pile. And that's what data can do to us, right? So yes, um, awesome stuff you guys are doing at Bomba. We hope that your solutions will be able to help more businesses to make informed decisions and analyze their, you know, their day-to-day more uh, particularly. One final question uh, before we go, and that's before I allow maybe just one or two people, that's two people to um, say one or two things. And I'll just take a question from Aaron. And this person says, what, when do you know how to separate? What are the points when you separate passion from profitability? right? Passion from profitability, passion from, and I think um, somebody already said something about this earlier. I think Richard mentioned something uh, related, and I think, yes, Tsuji also said something about that. When do you know when to say, okay, this is my passion. Profitability is important, right? Um, If they don't merge, what do we do? Should we continue to pursue passion? Or should we just forget about it if profitability is a thing? If it's pivoting that will do it for us, should we just run to profitability and leave passion alone? You know, just, you, I, I, I did both of you to speak to it, but, you know, just in 30 seconds, briefly, and then let's, you know, let's go. So Richard first. Okay. I think the person is just define what exactly they want. Um, I think that's what it is. You, you just need to define, yeah, some people are happy, you know, maybe, they're just happy to just follow their passion. They don't care about the money. So there are some people like that's interesting. And they, at, at that point, they just choose to follow your passion. But if you have, maybe you have, you're keen about living a good life and paying bill. I mean, having, you know, going to Dubai, living a good life, enjoying yourself, happy, you know, then you may, you may want to follow, follow that path for profitability and make a lot of money. Um, and maybe retire early and be happy. I mean, but I think ultimately it turned, it, 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 it's, it's, you and what your own personal goals are and what you want. No one can make that decision for you. At least you identify that this is a passion. This is one that gives me profit. Which do I follow? I think it just depends on you and what your personal goals are. That's what I would just say. All right. Thank you. TJ. Okay. Okay. Um, passion slash profitability. Um, so I have a different approach to this, right? If you're just a single guy, um, no family, no kids, and all. It's fine for you to be chasing around passion, right? <laughs> you can drink Gary and uh, with your passion. 
passionately. You can drink Gary passionately. You can drink exactly. You can drink Gary passionately. But when you start having bills to pay, you start having your families to take care of, your um, you you have responsibilities basically. You have down um, should I say children or family or wife or parents that are getting old and all, then it would make sense to chase profitability. And um, so something about profitability also is that um, your passion becomes more pleasurable when it makes profit, and and when there's money in the bank in the in the bank. So when you don't have to bother about money, you can really be safe. Your passion is um, playing violin, for example. You be a great, great violinist if you are not always bothering about where your next meal is going to come from. So it might actually make sense for you to like. Try to get some money for for now, like get a little bit comfortable, then chase um, the passion. That's if you are in a dilemma, when should I go for this? Um, should I go for money or should I go for this thing? Um, but interestingly, in the nowadays, passion has really interesting ways of making money. It's just that it's not guaranteed. You can be doing, you can be chasing your passion, and you, know, you get you blow up on Instagram, for example, or something, and you know the money start rolling in. But when the money starts rolling in and the passion becomes a business, that's when you realize that that passion, uh, like, yeah, people don't realize that sometimes the passion can become a business. Then you'll not be like, I wasn't in it for all these meetings and all these calls and all these paperwork and, oh, I just want to play my violin in peace. Yeah. Um, that's when you start having business managers and all, but that's when you're at least, that's at least when you're getting successful, right? Um, so it makes sense to, you know, evaluate where you are currently, right? Then decide from there. It doesn't make sense to, like, you know, um, work for a while, get some money, then fund, use the money to fund your passion and enjoy that passion. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, guys. Uh, Richard, thank you. Tunji, thank you. Um, so I just want to get uh, feedback. I'm going to bump uh, maybe just two people to panelists. If you'd like to say something, I'd like you to please raise your hand. That um, the participants, if you want to jump in and say something, kindly raise your hand and I'm going to bump just two people just two people, raise your hand. I'm going to bump two people up to panelists. Okay. Um, I'm not, I'm doing this in no particular order, but I'm just going to, okay. There's one person and uh, hold on, second person. All right. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, Aaron, you have the floor. Um, all right. Um, thank you so much, Emmanuel. Um, thank you, Osnana, for this powerful platform. Mr. Richard. Thank you. I, I was literally writing all through when you were speaking. Um, those foundational things you mentioned are just going to be really helpful in my business and all. Um, Mr. Tunji, yeah, of course. Please, guys, don't mind me. Um, Tunji. Yeah. Wait. Yeah, you <laughs> so, know that we know TJ. And you're saying Mr. Tunji. Wow. He's okay. <laughs> a mister now. He's a big boy. Mr. Aaron. Because we all know that he was a chief provider. When it comes to NCN and browsing for faith and bargaining school, um, awesome stuff you guys are doing. Um, I just thought to mention that um, thank you so much for what you guys have said. I'm sharing on the issue of the passion and profitability matter. Um, TJ, I think um, you really hit the nail on the head and all. And I'm sure there are a lot of people that have asked me such questions. I'm okay, so my passion about these things, but money is not coming in. Now I'm hungry. Hunger cannot um, um, fund this thing anymore. How do I go about it? So you might just need to maybe pen passion for now then go with profitability and all. Um, uh, Mr. Richard, of course, I'm already going to my phone now to subscribe to Branch and see what we can do. And um, yeah, uh, Mr. Tunji, I already have um, bumper downloaded. I have a, a branding and printing business I do. I'm going to set that up like before the end of today. 
And I think uh, you guys are just awesome. Uh, Emmanuel, thank you so much for putting this together. God bless you guys. I can't wait to get um, the next session for next month. All right, then. Thank you for jumping in. Thank, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Aaron. Um, Chidera, can go ahead now. Ebo Chidera, are you still there? Yeah. Yeah, thank you, Mr. Richard, for what you've really, I really enjoyed the class. Like, and awesomely, thank you for the um, answers to the questions you gave me. Yeah, because I really have a brand I'm working for. And should I say it? I called it a dying brand. Okay, sorry, it was Mr. Tinji that gave me the answers. Yeah, I call it a dying brand. Like, they've really been having financial issues for the past, going to 10 years now. And so they called me as an analyst to, you know, what is really wrong with this business? And I've keep like what Mr. Tunji said, I have keep telling, you know, I've been telling them this over the period of time, that this is what you should do. But, you know, because I just have to attend this um, webinar so that I can know what to do, you know. But when I'm meeting the CEO the next time, okay, I say, sir, this is what you should do. And really this webinar really had to open my eyes, you know, to make it solid this time around. And I really appreciate what um, Osnow now is really doing and Mr. Richard for your awesome uh, suggestions and all that. I've really tried Branch over the period of time and I saw that what they've been doing is something, it's a kudos to them, really, really, I really, really love it. And for Bumper, I really, I integrated with Keeper, but now that I'm aware that there is something that could give me, you know, there is an app that can give me what more offer than what Keeper has been giving me over the period of time. I think I should go for Bumper. Yeah, thank you, Mr. Tunji, for such an opportunity. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much, Igbo Chidera. Thank you, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, Chidera. Thank, thank you, you very much. Buddy, who has, um, you know, who has participated in this webinar. Thank you so much, everybody. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much. I hope you guys learned one or two things. Thank you, Richard. Thank you, TJ. You guys have been phenomenal. Really, this session has been wonderful. Guys, don't worry. I'm going to share um, TJ, Richards, Bumper, Branches, um, different uh, links to connect with them, either on Instagram, LinkedIn, website. Anyway, I'm going to share. My team and I are going to share everything with you guys immediately after, so don't bother about that. Um, you get that. And then the recording of this session will also be available from next week, Monday. You get that as well on our YouTube channel. So thank you. Thank you so much, everybody. Richard, thank you. TJ, thank you. This is where we say goodbye. And um, we look forward to hearing from you some other time. Hopefully, you come again to the show. Hopefully, one of these days. Richard. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thanks, Thank in. you, everyone, for listening. <laughs> nice thank to meet you, you TJ. Have a wonderful yeah, nice week. to meet you, Richard. If you're in Lagos, people are voting. Please go and vote for your local government. I know most of you don't know. <laughs> Well, <laughs> all right then. Enjoy your weekend, everybody. All right. Bye. Bye.